0: You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. This email to start the show today from Steve, who is a Redskins fan, emailing me from Berlin, Germany. How about that? Berlin. Overseas. Kevin, I'd like to help you with your logo and your social media marketing. So pleased that you're doing this podcast. I think I can really help with the show's branding. Let me know. Um, good morning, everybody. It's the Kevin Sheehan Show. It's the podcast, and it's presented by Window Nation. Uh, I do have a bit of um, a bit of a beef with Mark, uh, my producer here, because Scott Allen was very nice uh, to write a quick story about the podcast very for nice the post. Piece. Yes, he used a picture that I had not yet seen, but apparently, I tweeted it. I, I retweeted it. I yes. guess I did, and yes. I didn't look at the picture that you took of me. Two days ago, doing the show here at Chatter, Tony's studio uh, in Friendship Heights. But it makes me look like I'm 500 pounds. <laughs> what? Uh, I am, I, I'm look,
1: I'm looking at the picture right now. Uh, I am not Annie Leibovitz. So I, 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 that's, how did that just, get out? I just I just was taking I wanted to take a picture when you're behind the microphone. And I probably should have cropped a little bit because it does look like you're about three months pregnant. And in and, and reality, I'm, I'm looking at you right now. You're a very handsome man. <laughs> but where? You're very hold on. much let me, just,
0: let me just say this. First of all, I, I've never been, and you've known me longer than anybody in this room, all right? And longer it's than a me, lot of people. It's only me and you. It's me, you, me and Aaron Oster. <laughs> kidding, Aaron. Um, <laughs> you know me that I'm not big into sort of personal branding and self-promotion kind of activities. Yes. I, I, it's just never... And and in this particular venture, apparently, I have to be much more yes, involved be PT in doing Burnham, that. Yes. And so when I saw this picture after not really seeing it the other day, I'm like, "Well, that's not good." Because <laughs> while I am, I, I'm certainly not what I would call svelte or in tip top. I am not massively overweight, no. as that picture depicted. The Picture me. would
1: indicate. I yeah. must
0: have like I, my my shirt must have just been flying out at the moment yeah, somehow. Yeah, it's not it a, makes me look like I'm a solid three bills.
1: Yeah, and you are not. You're at least no, 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 two, no. 280, 290 <laughs> No, tops. I'm, not,
0: I'm not anywhere near that. <laughs> now I'm not two bills. I'm over two bills, but at 6'3, you should oh, be you're sli- in the 210 you're to a 215 slim man. range.
1: I would say you're a slender
0: man. That was uh that was quite a picture. Um sorry about that. Lots to get to. No, you're not. You're not a you're not sorry at all.
1: No, you know what? I took a picture with Katie Ledecky, and I was so proud of it and I looked at it And I, I don't know whether my gut was, I don't know what was going on, but it looked like I had a bowling ball. And I'm, I'm, you know, you're in
0: great shape. Yeah,
1: and I was like, I can't show anybody this picture. I look terrible.
0: Yeah. So, Um,
1: but the picture I took, we took of you and Tommy was a great
0: picture. It's like the middle. It's fine. Do you see that one? Yeah. But the picture, here's the problem. The other picture you took of just me, and the picture that you took of Tom, it. You made Tom look even slimmer than he is, and you made me much bigger than I am.
1: Tom's about 160 right now.
0: (laughs) He looked great, and it was so much fun. He
1: did look great, especially without the glasses.
0: It was so much fun doing the show with him, and he's going to do it with me every Tuesday and Thursday. If you missed the show with Tommy yesterday, go back and listen to it. That's the great thing about these podcasts is you can listen to all of these shows over and over and over again. And you know what? When you do, subscribe and rate it yes, as highly a, as you can. Give a
1: review and tell five friends. Tell, no, tell 10 friends. 10 friends, even. 10 better. friends. Yeah,
0: yes. let's, let's build a multi level marketing scheme here <laughs> for the uh, Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. Lots to get to today, including John Keim from espn.com and Jeff Erman, who covers the terps for 24 7 sports. Um, I want to get into the Maryland situation because I, I think everything's gone dark here recently on the Maryland uh, situation with DJ Durkin and with the AD and with the school president. And in the meantime, here here's the football team with Matt Canada as the head coach with two impressive wins to start the season and really looking at a legitimate possibility to go 4-0 and before they head to the big house in October uh, to face Michigan in what could be a game between two ranked teams. Yes, I said that. It's possible. Um John Kime will join us as well and I want to get his reaction of the team to Alex Smith so far and the depth of the playbook used by Jay Gruden on Sunday in Arizona. There was a lot that was new, uh, some of it not new, but he used a ton of it and I loved what they did in the running game in particular. So Kime's going to join us as well. Plus, I have a bold prediction about the Redskins season. Uh, coming up uh, shortly i I did want to read two other emails because i think this is interesting and cooley and i got this tommy and i got this before because it's redskin fans primarily i I'll, i'll i'll ask you the question here in a moment but this was another email uh and this came from uh thad in australia big redskin fan here down under thad writes would love to help you with the logo branding in the podcast world is important um, this email from Dan in the UK, so glad you're doing a podcast. I miss you on 980, but this is just as good for me because I listen to you on a podcast anyway. Good job on Twitter promoting the availability of the podcast. If you allow me, I'd like to present you with an overall social media marketing plan. I work with over a dozen podcast content providers and can send you my resume. You told me for oh, t- two things. One. The Redskins fan base, no matter what you people who are very cynical about the team, with good reason to be cynical um, about the team, uh, no matter what you think, there are millions of Redskins fans, and 70% of them reside outside of the district of Maryland and Virginia. That That was a surprise to me. I never knew that. Cooley shared that with me a few years ago. That of the four to five million what they call Redskin fans or Redskin Nation, seventy percent of them live outside of the area. Wow, that's that's astonishing. I never, I would have never thought it, but this being a transient area, yeah. although I hate that description because there are a lot of us that are born and raised Washingtonians, a lot of us, yes, and. Well, and you, I mean you've been here. I've been here for like been 30, here, thirty years. That's that's, years. that's born and raised yes. almost. Yes. Um, but uh it, it helps when you do a podcast, I guess, that uh that you have a fan base for a particular team in your town that is really international now in yeah. terms of where people um reside. Um by the way, I am aware that the logo needs work and that the social media marketing plan isn't quite there. So all the suggestions you want to provide to me especially those that are really good and free. Free is good. Uh, I'll take them, and I'm very appreciative of all of those suggestions. Um, anyway, uh, all right. So um, I, I, I want to get to a, a couple of things with, regarding the Nats uh, because they swept the doubleheader in Philadelphia yesterday. Juan Soto, two home runs in the nightcap, including the game winner in the 10th. As an aside in that nightcap, I don't know if Tony mentioned this, Bryce Harper 0 for 5 with four strikeouts. He did not mention that. And you put that side by side for comparison purposes with Soto, who went 3 for 4 with two home runs and four RBIs. It is one of the reasons a lot of people think the Nats will not even really be aggressive in trying to keep Bryce Harper here. Um, The Nats send Strasburg out tonight in the series finale against Philadelphia. They've got the makeup game with the Cubs tomorrow, and then they get the Braves over the weekend. They are eight games out right now. I know it's not going to (laughs) happen, but they could make it interesting here over the next few days if they play well. Theoretically, they control their ability. Not theoretically. uh, Actuality, all right? Mathematically, they control their ability to at least get within five games of Atlanta by the end of the weekend. All right. If if they go into Atlanta, still eight back, and win three, hold on, eight minus three is five back. And they are already just a, a game and a half behind Philadelphia. If they take Philly tonight, they're only a half game behind the Phillies for second. I also want to mention that after Atlanta, the Nats play nine games against the Marlins and the Mets. I know the Mets have played better recently um but they're facing a pretty good stretch of schedule with the Marlins and the Mets over a nine game stretch while Atlanta faces the Cardinals for three games and they have seven against the Phillies and they play the Mets in Queens and the Mets are playing a little better. I, I it's it's a massive long shot. I don't know what the odds are. I should look that up here um, on on uh, Aaron, go to sportsbook.com. Um, that's the quickest because they've got the futures. you can find the futures right there and see what the nats are to win the division right now. I would guess that they are every bit of 50 to one uh eight back with the schedule might be less than 50 to one um but it's an off the board almost long shot. It'll probably be on the board um, but they could make it interesting if they could run off a few more in a row including the weekend in Atlanta. A bold prediction about the Redskins season coming up right after I tell you about Window Nation. Kevin Sheehan here for Window Nation. It's back to school time, and to help you get educated about Window Nation, they're offering instruction on supply and demand. Beat the fall rush. Window Nation has extra capacity now, so lock in with the lowest pricing before the demand goes up. With Window Nation's back to school sale, you get one free window for every window you buy, wood or vinyl styles. Buy four, get four free. Buy eight, get eight free. There's no limit get an a plus in savings and receive zero percent interest for five full years that's like a free ride until 2023 use it towards your kids books or clothes or backpacks or shoes or even treat yourself it's smart to go with Windownation. When it comes to Windows, they're first in class. Now it's your turn to go to the head of the class. Call 86690Nation or visit Windownation.com. Get one free window for every one you buy. Buy four. Get four free. There's no limit. Plus 0% interest until 2023. That's five full years. Do a little homework today. Get your windows installed before the cold arrives and save big during Nation's back to school sale. Call today at 86690 nation or visit window that's eight six six ninety nation or window tell them kevin sheehan sent you john kimes coming up shortly also jeff Ehrman to talk about the maryland situation he'll be joining us as well i have a bold prediction uh, on the Redskins coming up uh, in, in about a minute or a minute and a half. Somewhere around there. It depends on how quickly I get through this next thought. I was reading yesterday some of the updated NFL power rankings after week one. Um, and I will do my first NFL power poll tomorrow on tomorrow's show where Scott Van Pelt will make his first appearance. How about that? And real quickly, Mike Shanahan will be a guest of ours on Friday. Talked to Mike yesterday. He's excited about the podcast. He said, I'll come on whenever you want, so we're going to do Mike on Friday. Did I hear somewhere
1: that Warren Buffett was also going to be on with you?
0: (laughs) Yeah, Warren Buffett and then Gates um, (laughs) next week. Oh, that's Um, next week, right. Look, week one very often is a major head fake. Not always, though. Last year, Philadelphia, Jacksonville, and the Rams, none of those teams thought before the season last year in 2017 to be playoff teams, opened their seasons with games that would be Harbinger's of things to come. The Eagles came here, looked impressive, beat the Skins 30-17. to The Jags were 3-13 in 2016 and opened up with a dominating win over Tennessee, 29-7. And the Rams, who were 4-12 the year before, they destroyed in Sean McVay's first game a year ago, the Colts, 46-9. Those three teams were the biggest surprises of the NFL season last year. Teams in Jacksonville and the Rams, no one saw coming. A few people thought the Eagles would be improved, but not Super Bowl improved. They were 7-9 and nine the year before. Interestingly, after looking so impressive winning Week 1 games last year for those three teams, they all lost their Week 2 games. <laughs> um, anyway, I don't know... For sure, if what we saw Sunday in Arizona was a harbinger of things to come. It usually isn't. It was last year with the three biggest surprise teams of the NFL. But you'd be crazy not to say that the Redskins weren't impressive in that opener. You know, you're you, you don't know what'll happen, and I don't know what'll happen. I have a bold prediction, a somewhat bold prediction coming up here shortly. You know, there's always what happened last year. The season did start off, you know, start off promisingly. They lost to the Eagles, then won games against the Rams, who ended up being a very good team, and uh, the Raiders to start 2-1. and one. And then they went to Arrowhead with that big game uh, and lost Monday night at Arrowhead. Then the injuries completely derailed the season. But what is clear and what was clear coming into this season is the Skins have a roster that should and looks better than any roster they've had in a while you know, they have a chance of pulling off one of those seasons where maybe they're the surprise team. By the way, if they beat Indy on Sunday, it'll be their first 2-0 start since 2011 when Rex Grossman led led the Skins to wins over the Giants and the Cardinals. And right now, the Skins are six-point favorites over Andrew Luck and the Colts. That is, let me get back to what started this conversation. Not only is Vegas starting to buy in a little after one game, but all of these so-called expert NFL sites are turning bullish early on the Redskins after one week. ESPN.com has the skins up to 14 on their weekly power rankings list. Still the eighth best team in the NFC. The NFC is loaded. But 14th, top half of the league, They've, they moved up five spots from 19th in that power ranking poll. NFL.com had the Redskins as their biggest upward trender. They moved up nine spots from their preseason ranking of 26th out of 32 teams, and now they're up to 17th. Now, the Jets and Bucks also moved up nine spots after their wins. And look, they'll drop like a rock if they lose to Indianapolis at home on Sunday. But I think those that cover the league are starting to realize that the Redskins don't stink. They actually have talent. And the likes of Thompson and Reed and Peterson to go with a veteran winner like Alex Smith that they're worth keeping an early eye on for now. I don't really care what others say. I'm just bringing it, bringing it up for context and perspective that, that people are starting to get a sense of what we as Redskin fans or some of us have had about their roster being much better than most people think, a bit underrated. Um, the NFL, we know, changes more than any other sport, any other league. What you see one week can be totally the opposite the next. The Patriots haven't fit into that narrative, but that what that's what makes them the Patriots. They've been immune for 17 seasons to the back-and-forth sort of success followed by failure that the NFL you know, has become with almost every other team. The Rams are 4-12 one year, and then they win the division next, and then they're Super Bowl contenders this year, and then next year, watch, they'll be 6-10. and 10. And that's sort of the NFL. It's impossible to really understand. It's week-to-week. Week. But I'm going to go out on a limb right now when it comes to the Washington Redskins. Uh, this is a post-week-one prediction that I just have a strong hunch about there are two team the team in the AFC and I mentioned this last Friday before the season started. I have a really strong hunch about the Baltimore Ravens. I think the Ravens are going to be an eleven win eleven plus win team this year and contend for the Super Bowl. Um, that was you know n- not a lot of people had the Ravens as a playoff team and they opened up with Nathan Peterman all right and the Bills and they they crushed them forty seven to three. I feel a little bit the same way about the Redskins, not necessarily 11 wins or 10 wins. This is the bold prediction. The bold prediction is this. I think it's bold. It's somewhat bold. It's not, you know, it's not way out there on a limb. This is going to be a meaningful December season for the Redskins. That's the prediction. What does meaningful December mean? It means that when we get to December, and they've played 11 games with five to go, they're going to be in the hunt for a playoff berth. The division will be in play. A wild card will be in play. There'll be no worse than 6-5 and five heading into a stretch where they face the Eagles, Giants, Jags, Titans, and Eagles to close the season. That's a tough closing stretch right now. Who knows what it will be by the time the Redskins get there. But meaningful Decembers, uh, they've been far from a guarantee Around these parts. Over the last 10 seasons, just four of them have there been meaningful games in December. Four. The 2008 season, which was Jim Zorn's first, they were actually, after that 6-2 and two start, they were actually in the hunt when they got to December, even though they were trending downward. 2012 was the RG3 seven game run, and they had meaningful games in September and December. 2015 was the late season four game winning streak with Kirk Cousins at the helm to win the division. And 2016, they were in the hunt for a playoff spot, losing to the Giants at home in a pitiful game on January 1st, 2017, to get knocked out of the playoffs. So, meaningful Decembers are. Not very common around here. Four out of the last ten. But when we get to this December, the Redskins, and this is the somewhat bold prediction, are going to be playing games that matter. Injuries, health, the number one impediment to this, obviously. If what happened last year were to happen this year, forget about it. But I do like the roster. I liked the urgency they played with on Sunday. Thompson and Reed and Trent Williams, they have three players on offense that you can reasonably debate as top three players at their position in the entire league. Jordan Reed is a top three pass-catching tight end in this league when he plays, and he's healthy. Chris Thompson is a top three third down back, and by the way, he's more than that for this team in the league, and Trent Williams you could debate and argue is a top three left tackle in this league the quarterback is good enough to manage this thing good enough to win with and maybe more than that in the Jay Gruden scheme the defense is talented it's deeper I like their secondary I've heard a lot of moaning and concern and angst over their secondary Uh, I like Dunbar I've always liked Dunbar and he played so well in the opener Norman's got to have a big year a bounce back year but I like their safeties I loved Swearinger last year, and Nicholson to me looks like a potential star in the making. The coaching staff, as a whole, is fine. The head coach needs to become needs to become more of an asset than a liability in a lot of these games. That's a big thing with them. Jay Gruden is a terrific pass offense designer. He is in the middle of the pack when it comes to being a head coach. But this is a 500 or better roster. The schedule right now looks daunting, but you know how schedules go. They change. You don't know right now if Tampa might not be the surprise team in the NFL, and that game looked like a W a week ago, and now that's going to be a tough game. Uh, Green Bay gets here into uh, a week from Sunday. Will Aaron Rodgers still be on one leg? Um, it's It feels like a decent start opportunity after they won Sunday. Sunday's huge. They got to get to 2 and 0. It would be nice to see them 2 and 0, but I in netting it out, I don't see why this team can't win 6 or 7 games by their first December game in Philadelphia on Monday night, December 3rd. I could see that being an 8 and 3 Philadelphia t- uh, team against a 7 and 4, worst case 6 and 5 Redskins team with the Skins in the hunt in December that's the somewhat bold prediction all right I'll regret it I'm sure Um, but there was something about this roster before the season that I liked and Sunday was a good sign it can be a head fake it wasn't last year with three surprise teams the Rams the Jags and the Eagles the urgency though Sunday the talent on display Sunday they don't suck this is what you can say about this team they don't stink this is a better team than most think and of course, it could come off the tracks because of injuries or because of just the organizational dysfunction that always seems to seep in to a season to disrupt it. Um, but I, I'm, 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 I'm optimistic. I am, I'm cautiously optimistic. But if they don't get derailed by injuries or something in Ashburn, this is going to be a team that, when we get to December, is in the hunt for something. All right. Let's bring in John Keim uh, from ESPN.com, my good friend, uh, who I over the last month have missed talking to. You know, at least once a week or once every ten days. Uh, I didn't even get to see training camp. Was down there for the very first day, John, of training camp, and then hardly saw. Honestly, for the first time in twenty years, barely watched any of the preseason games, other than you know the first drive or two. But. When we got to Sunday and before Sunday, I really felt like going into this season that this roster, and you and I have talked about this over the last year, you know, was a decent roster. That if it stayed healthy, they were going to have a chance this year to be a competitive team. Did anything surprise you Sunday? The result may have surprised you in terms of how dominant it was, but specifically, did anything surprise you with it during the Redskins win in, there in Arizona?
2: Well, first of all, it's good to talk to you again. I, I've missed it as well, so this is fun for me too. Um, the couple things that I think I was surprised at how well they ran the ball, not that they ran it well, but how well they did, um, and I'm sure we'll get into that later about the style of the run game, um, that maybe surprised me a little bit. I think how well they also defended the pass. Now, I, I, you know, it's hard to know where arizona's passing game is at right now and where this defense is really at but what i was impressed by was some of the communication in the secondary because that was a little bit of concern going into it they're very young and some of the young guys handled that well and so that surprised me a little bit um you know and i think like you said the 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 dominance of the game um surprised me um too but when you look at why they were dominant, it's like, well, in the end, it's like, well, yeah, you can understand it. But going into it, I thought they would win. I did not think it would be such an easy win. All
0: right. You and I talked uh, a little bit earlier um, off the air about the dynamic running game that we saw, not just talent-wise with Adrian Peterson and Chris Thompson back healthy, but the style and the playbook. Um, speak to what Jay Gruden Uh, did with sort of going deep into the playbook from a creative standpoint and whether or not this is going to be something we see all year long? It
2: it will be because they ran a lot of those RPOs and I know that's like the fancy term that everybody's going to learn about and has learned about since last year with the Eagles and it really goes back to Chip Kelly Um, and teams have run a lot of that stuff. It's just Used to be at the line of scrimmage. You go up to the line with the run-pass option, and then you call something, and that's what you're running. So it's essentially the same thing, but now you're doing it on the fly. So you're trying to get somebody to commit on the fly, and then you take advantage. And so that's what they were doing a lot of Sunday, and that goes back to Alex Smith and what he can handle. They threw a lot at him in camp, on early in camp, in terms of installation and all the, the entire playbook. And they wanted to see what he could handle. And it's clear that he could handle a lot because I felt like they did go deeper in terms of the number of formations they used, et cetera. Um, And I think what jumped out to me, and I I told you this earlier, too, that was as much – I enjoyed going back and watching the film as much as I did when it was 2012 with Griffin and the zone read was so new. Because what it's fun is to see how – a team puts another; it puts a defense on a stress or creates numbers for themselves. And that's what they're able to do with that RPO. And there were a couple times, like, for example, Adrian Peterson had a 17-yard run. And on that play, first of all, he, in his history, he doesn't run well out of the gun, right? So somebody even asked him, why is he running better out of the gun? Because of the style of the offense. And here there's a play in the third quarter, I think it was, 17 yards. Well, they fake a bubble screen, they have excuse me, they have Paul Richardson running a bubble yep. to the right. So you got two receivers to the right running the bubble. That free and then, you know, so that freezes that automatically freezes three or four guys on that side. Then they run the RPO, but they're making it also look like it could be a zone lead with Alex Smith. That freezes two more guys. So now you have five guys essentially out of the play, taken care of by three or four offensive players. Creates numbers on the other side peterson's untouched for like eight or ten yards so that's what they're able to do because of now arizona didn't know what to really expect from them now now teams do so now how do they adjust but that was some of the style of the run game so they could run some power with peterson up the middle some, some rpos with those guys speed option with he and with smith and thompson the rpo with chris thompson they were able to do a lot of different things. And for the first time in a long time, you felt like it was a creative run game and they created holes because of
0: it. So I would ask you this because I, I you know, as I'm watching the game and, and I talked about it here on Monday's show, we saw wrinkles, we saw action, we saw speed option, we saw read option, we saw RPO. It's not like we haven't seen that before with Jay Gruden uh, and, and Callahan's run scheme. Um, and Kirk was capable of running a lot of that as well, but but it was always we would always be here on a Monday and say they didn't they didn't do enough of it, you know they didn't present their quarterback. T- t- as a run threat often enough. Now, Alex Smith is a more dynamic runner and a more mobile quarterback than Kirk was, but there wasn't enough consistency with the wrinkles to the run game. And John, you're in Arizona in Sunday. I'm watching the entire league all day long and all the 4 o'clock games, including the Redskins. Read option is more prevalent than it's ever been because everybody understands what it does to a defense. But what was the change for Jay Gruden? Was it quarterback draft? or did he just realize yeah. we don't no, have a dynamic driven. running game? Go ahead.
2: I think it was as much quarterback-driven because of this is what Smith is. They did not run this many RPOs in the past. In fact, Chris right. Thompson told me they didn't run any. Now, I know they did yeah, they in a did. different way. They did because there were a couple of times they even asked Jay about it last year, and it may have been after Thompson was out or, or wasn't involved in it or whatever, but they did not run it to this degree, not even close. Um, and there were also times, Kevin, in the past and even this year where there were plays that looked like RPOs that were not RPOs. They're just designed that way to, again, cause that hesitation. You don't have the safeties and all these guys aren't looking at what the backside blockers are doing or what, you know, all this. They're looking at their keys. So if they see, if they see the action of the play with the quarterback, they're going to hesitate, even if it's just a basic play action designed to look like an RPO. So, but I do think, I do believe it's a lot of it is driven by what Alex Smith can handle. And that's not a knock on Kirk Cousins. This is just a guy who was able, who did it in college in Smith, did it in Kansas City, so he was experienced in it. Now, I believe, I'm guessing they probably would have done more of it with Kirk as he was developing in this offense. Maybe. But this is something Smith is good at. And then, because even with the RPOs, you don't need the quarterback to be a run threat. Nick Foles ran it well without being a run threat, but when you have a guy who can be a run threat, then you can make it also look like a zone read, right? So that's why I say, like on some of those run pass options, you have two. It almost looks like you have two run options. Whether or not he's going to keep the ball, the defense has to respect that. So you're freezing with the bubble screen to the right. You're freezing with the zone read to the right, and you're hitting him back with the um, run to Peterson on the left. So that you know. So I think there, all those elements add up to why to do it. And you also notice, too, more of the jet action, more of the end-around action by Richardson. And, um, you know, that also is going to – now that's getting into a bubble look or whatever, but that was – I thought they did that more. And that's something that, like we saw Sean McVay do that a lot with the Rams, too, and I love that. I think that's highly effective. Um, and so I think, there, you know, I think some of it could be that they want to add more dynamic – plays to the to the run game and they had to do something different but I do think it's a lot of it is quarterback driven again that's not to knock Cousins it's just that this is something Smith does well so why not
0: do it so let me just make one observation based on what you what you said because I did watch the Minnesota San Francisco game um I thought Minnesota's offense under Filippo, new offensive coordinator new quarterback uh was very bland Um, in watching Cousins operate the Minnesota offense. There were a couple of things about that game. It was bland. There wasn't a lot of dynamic sort of – it was very traditional for the lack of a better description. And, by the way, they took their foot off the pedal – uh, in the second half. So, you know, perhaps coaches are realizing Kirk's good at doing this kind of stuff and not the other stuff. I don't know when, when they ran read option with Kirk in the past, you know, it, it worked a lot, but maybe some of the RPO stuff didn't the other, the other observation, John, from real, real quickly about watching the league, what, what I, what I noticed in Arizona was one of the top rush defenses in the NFL last year, Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think yep. they were a the top three, top yeah, five they were rush they defense. Were, yeah,
2: they were, they were very good, yeah.
0: Uh, in watching a lot of the other games on Sunday, I didn't see as much RPO as I thought I would see. Mm-hmm. And and I think that one of the reasons is is that if you're not playing the run hard, an offense won't go to a lot of the RPO stuff because it won't be Correct. as effective. So y- it's really going to be more effective against mm-hmm. really good rush defenses that are packing the box you know with with, well, with eight guys i'm sorry go ahead even
2: yeah and even remember back in like 12, 2012 the zone read wasn't an option it wasn't a big deal every week either right there were some teams like when they would face a 3-4 defense like the steelers they didn't use it all that much because you had athletic outside linebackers who could who could take care of that with their athleticism so you could handle – they could handle one guy could kind of take two. It's like in a really effective zone defense in basketball. So there were some defenses that would not work against and They ran it very little. And then there were some offenses – or excuse me, some Ds where you knew all game they're going, to, or they're going to use it a lot in that game. And I think this is how this will be as well. Um, and I also think the other thing is you're going to have to – Throw off that as well. And your receivers are going to have to show that they can win to the inside because that's where of those course. passes typically go. Now, the Eagles would throw some of the outside routes out of, their, out of their RPOs. So that kind of mixed it up a little bit. And then it gives you the ability to, you know, it at least holds the corner to not know maybe what's, where, where you're going to go. And so if they graduate to that, some of the can they? Um, because, like you said, if you don't win to the inside, if you place, if you're facing a team that plays really good man coverage and you're not beating them to the inside, the RPO is not going to work because they're going to take away that pass with a couple guys, and now you got to now now they're going to focus on the run. So, it you know we'll see if it works every week, but I do think it adds a wrinkle that will be effective um, in in a lot of games, well, and um, you know so.
0: The rules really dictate that an RPO pass option has to be a quick throw whether it's a quick slant or a quick bubble or a quick wide receiver screen because if not you've got linemen down the field so it it has to by 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 default be all of your rpo plays and we've seen it in college for years they are quick decision quick throws if not you got linemen that are leaking downfield i want to go to alex smith uh you know there's just in listening to Jay Gruden and listen to, listening to his teammates uh, with just over-the-top praise for the last few weeks and after the opener, I just want to cut to the chase here. Uh, are they basically just saying Alex Smith is just a much better leader um, and a much better guy to have around than Kirk Cousins?
2: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, To put it blunt, and um, – doesn't make Cousins a bad guy or a bad leader. I just think that they feel like this guy is a better leader and and a better fit for them in the locker room. And I think there was sometimes, um, I think your old partner Chris Cooley talked about this in an, um, I think an NFL.com article, just how you know maybe some guys didn't feel like they got to know Kirk as well as they maybe needed to, um, and. You know, I always found Kirk to be very professional um, and, and easy to deal with. So, you know, it wasn't like the media were his best friends. He was just respectful and professional. Um, and I think Alex Smith's the same way. But, um, but I think in that locker room, you'll hear that, you know, maybe Smith is more, quote-unquote, one of the guys. Um, and in there, kind of mixing it up a little bit more and doing things a little bit more. And he's, he's a lot more like a bigger version of Colt McCoy. And McCoy has always been popular in that locker room. Uh, so I do think that they are they are saying that. And, you know, um, he's all, he's at a deeper point in his career. Maybe, I don't know how he was. I've always heard good things about him in the locker room, meaning Smith, but I don't know. Maybe he's just at a, a stronger point in his career to be that kind of guy. I don't know, because I don't know him from when he was 28, 29 years old. I just know at 34 this is how they feel about him, and he's a guy who's had experience, who's had success, um, and so I think they, they do like having him. Now the key is if things start to go a little bit awry, how do they handle that? You know, what do they think? Is it the same? And um, I think the other thing that – one thing that Smith has going for him in terms of all the leadership stuff, he can relate to pretty much anybody in that locker room. He was a high pick, so you got guys who are a higher picks, so, you know he can relate to what that feeling is like. He's had failure. He's had success. He's been traded. He's been benched. He's been hurt. There's nothing he hasn't gone through that can't help him relate. So I think that probably all helps too. Um, whereas Kirk's experience here was a little bit different. I think the whole Robert saga, um, whether or not, I don't know how that maybe changed things for him, um, what he went through, but I do know just um, in terms of being a guy in the locker room, I think Smith has been more accepted. Yeah.
0: You know, I know this sounds defensive um from somebody who is a big Kirk Cousins fan, but it helps a lot when the organization has endorsed you, <laughs> has has said you are the guy, not only because yeah, well, we that's... traded for you, but because we gave you this massive contract extension. Yeah, no, I think that makes and it it's more, it's a more comfort. it's just a more comfortable setting for Alex Smith, perhaps, <laughs> than it was for. Kirk Cousins here. It,
2: it, I, I, and I would agree with that. I mean, it's clearly the organization invested in Alex Smith and they want him and need him to work because of what they moved on from. Yeah. And if, if Cousins goes and excels in Minnesota and Smith struggles here, well, then obviously people are going to say, Oh, you should have done this. But you know, I think, and, and listen, we both know it wasn't going to happen. So it wasn't truly an option. Um, it, it was more a few years ago. Could they have done something, you know, but So I do think that that probably helps. But I also think, like, being a leader, um, and I felt like this too with Kirk, and I, 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 I think Kirk did a good job here. And you look at, like, the last couple years, there was a lot on his shoulders. If he doesn't succeed, they don't win. You know, very few games could you go back and look and say, well, he was terrible, but they won. They couldn't win if he didn't succeed, right? right, if he didn't have a good game. So you can't we, we can't rewrite history. And the other thing we both know is if Kirk Cousins had accepted the same deal that they gave Alex Smith, he would be here. You know, that was there for him and and he didn't. So, in other words, so far as all this stuff we're hearing and, and people are saying, you can't lose sight of that as well. You know? So, um, You know what I mean? And so Well, I, you I can't you can't want,
0: you can't lose sight. I don't, you can't lose I don't, sight of my point
2: is I don't want yeah. I don't want to just be part of this I don't want the narrative just to be that well, he was horrible, we're well, glad he's gone because they would have kept him. <laughs> At this price point, right, um, which is where they're comfortable. But as far as the whole leadership thing, I do believe though, like there were guys like Will Compton who wasn't on this huge contract, who was considered a very good leader. I think some of that is, is natural, and I think some of that maybe at the quarterback position it's different. I don't know. I never played that in the NFL. I don't know what that's like. Maybe though, like if you know, because there's more scrutiny there. Nobody was sitting there wondering, well, why haven't they invested in a, a guy like Will Compton or even Mason Foster? Um, who, who doesn't have a big deal, but he is a captain. Um, why, didn't they, why didn't they do that for them? But quarterback is just different. And everybody looks at the quarterback, and his situation was so written about, dissected, talked about, that it becomes a bigger deal in the locker room. And I think that's one of the things, reasons why I thought last year or two years ago they should have traded him to avoid all that. And, of you course, know, and I just think it course. became the contract situation <sighs> – did not help Anybody in this, uh, in this uh, matter.
0: Look, I, I, I mean, we're not going to go down this path for more than 10 more seconds, but the bottom line is, with those that believe that it was somehow his decision, Minnesota gave him $30 million more eight months after the Redskins offered him $30 million less. It's not very hard to find out why <laughs> no, Kirk Cousins isn't here no, anymore. Man, um, that adds
2: up in your favor, yeah. man.
0: <laughs> so uh, I wanted to ask you about Adrian Peterson, how we saw the performance, Um, You know, we'll find out here over the next few weeks if it's sustainable, but how is he fitting in on this team personality-wise?
2: It seems to be okay. I mean, I think it's a little bit early, and right now everything's going to be okay because um, it's so new still, and I think there are a lot of guys like, you know, it's it's Adrian Peterson. Um, But you do hear, like, The running backs do kind of look up to him because of what he's accomplished and what he's meant to them or meant to the league and and maybe to them as just fans of the league before they got into it. Uh, so I think there's some things that, you know, you hear stuff about things that he can help them on and things that like, you know, he can pick up from a guy like Chris Thompson with as far as in the third, as as far as in the pass game, because he will be have to, he does have some of those responsibilities. Uh, so it seems to be pretty good. And I think it's also clear here's the other thing, Kevin, that's a good running backs room. As far as the guys who are in there
0: with a good Chris coach
2: Thompson, and with a really good coach. And so Chris Thompson is as professional as they come. Right. And whether or not he feels a certain way, first of all, he's still going to get his touches. He's going to, they want him to get 12 to 15 touches because you see the other day that he's still fast and explosive and can take one on any play. Um, and so, I, you know, his role isn't affected. Rob Kelly's role was affected. But Rob Kelly has been, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure these guys are competitors. There's no doubt in my mind that a guy like Rob Kelly sitting there saying, hey, I look better in camp. I could have gone and done this. Um, but you also know it's Adrian Peterson. And um, so I think there's, like, probably dual emotions there for a guy like him. But that's a really good room, and they've always gotten along very well And taking the approach that, well, if I'm not doing it and this guy is, then hey, that's okay because they got along very well. So I think it helps that he's in a good running back room um, on this team.
0: Uh, What's great about this podcast thing is I can go on and on and on with you forever. (laughs) Um, And so we've already, but I've already taken up too much of your time, but I'm going to be calling you. Uh I'm going to be calling you often if you don't mind. I, I've always good. enjoyed oh, the course. conversations, you know, during football season and even afterwards and you know, obviously follow John. Um he covers the team for espn.com. Thanks so much for your time. I'll call you soon. Hopefully see you soon.
2: Thanks Kevin. Good talking to you again.
0: Love talking to John Kime. Uh, always good to have John on the show. Nobody does a better job covering the team uh, than John does. Uh, Window Nation is our presenting sponsor of the Kevin Sheehan show podcast. Thanks to Harley, Aaron, and the whole gang there. We bring in Jeff Ehrman. Jeff uh, covers Maryland sports better than anybody does. Um, uh, 247sports.com, 247sports.com. And your, your podcast is IMS radio, right? So people can listen to your podcast on IMS radio. Uh, You and I have a bunch to talk about here, and I want to get to the whole situation uh, regarding the fallout from Jordan McNair's death here momentarily. But I do want to start with the first two games of this football season and how impressive... They have looked, and I know they looked impressive last year in Austin in the opener, and then all of the injuries sort of derailed the season, but did you think that we would see a team that looked as impressive in these first two games with so much obvious, Jeff, talent and team speed?
3: Yeah, I mean, from everything I'd heard during that time from when the controversy exploded until the season opener was that the guys had banded together and still were energetic and not really distracted and were motivated more so by honoring Jordan McNair's memory than anything else. And and I did feel like the talent level was a lot higher than people realized. But with that said, you know, I had a feeling it would be tough to beat Texas. I thought they'd give them a game. I I picked Texas to win that one. Uh, So that, that was a little bit of a surprise. And then Uh, To show, you know, that mental fortitude last week after, last Saturday, after coming out and laying an egg in the first half and then just dominating like good teams do against bad teams, even though, you know, a lot of times that doesn't happen, uh, it showed a lot. So, you know, you can't say enough about the job the players have done and, and obviously Matt Canada as an interim head coach.
0: I mean, the, last week, you know, you had the penalties, which really slowed him down on the road, uh, you know, in wet weather um, at a team that's actually been pretty decent in in recent years and came in here and beat Maryland uh, a few years back. But that second-half performance and, and the way they ran the ball and with a, a healthy offensive line, Jeff, and a, and a decent offensive line with speed and playmakers – what do you what's their upside like i mean we're all adjusting it now after these first two games and looking at a terrible temple team coming into college park for the you know for the real home opener on saturday where are your expectations now reasonably what are you expecting now of this season in this team
3: well i will say if you took the over on the uh vegas total wins of four during the preseason looks good pretty good now um the only thing really limiting them, in my opinion, is the schedule, as always, which is life in the Big Ten East, you know, that you always have to, no matter what you do, no matter how excited you start to get, then you remember Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. Otherwise, you know, you look at Temple, obviously that's a win, barring some sort of epic collapse. Minnesota comes in the following week. They've got a, red, a, a true freshman who's a walk-on starting at quarterback. They just lost their star running back. So Maryland should be favored, a uh, fairly healthy favorite in that one. And then it gets tougher, obviously, Michigan. But then, you know, you still have Rutgers, Rutgers and Indiana on the schedule. So, you know, I think at this point, six wins, I, I don't want to call it a guarantee because then everybody will yell at me for jinxing it. But I think you got to look, be looking for seven wins at least at this point, you know. And it's just a matter of whether you can pull off one of those upsets against one of those four-ranked teams. Michigan State's not exactly looking like a powerhouse so far themselves.
0: Yeah, you, you you didn't mention Illinois. I mean, they may be a, a slightly improved, but they get them at home. Yes. It would be it would actually be really um, interesting to see them win the next two weeks where they will be healthy favorites. I agree with you going to the big house on October 6th as, as a 4-0 team that would be at that point close to being ranked uh, potentially. Yeah, they'd,
3: they'd have to be ranked, I would think, by then, which would be their first time in several years under Randy Hetzel they I don't know if you want to be ranked, given the precedent he said they were ranked <laughs> at one time, and uh, we know what happened next—that 63 nothing loss at Florida State—never got back into the rankings after that.
0: Who's been the most impressive player defensively?
3: Uh, that's a good question. You know, Antoine Brooks has been really good. He just—he's—you know—he's a guy you wonder what he's going to do NFL-wise if he's good enough in coverage to play defensive back because that's his weakness if he's big enough to be a linebacker, but he is just a player. Uh, He's playing at all-conference level. He's always around the ball. Darnell Savage uh, has been really good. You know, he's a guy who's starting to look like a probably top four-round draft pick. Um, And then the defensive ends, Jesse Annabonum and and Byron Coward, have both helped what was, you know, one of the worst pass rushes in the Big Ten last year. So this is is the best defense I think they've had in, in a while.
0: Yeah, I thought I thought Anna Bonham's loss in the opener last year against Texas was one of the more underrated losses for the season. Obviously, they weren't going to overcome, you know, losing all the quarterbacks uh, they lost. But um, he's a legit pass rusher and and a havoc wreaker defensively. Back to um, the quarterback position here for a moment, or just introducing the topic. Cassim Hills looked great statistically. He wasn't that great against Bowling Green. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that that Piggy hasn't gotten as many snaps as I thought he would. I thought they they would be more split, or that he would get more possessions. Were you, have you been surprised by that?
3: No, I haven't. You know, I, I feel like it's hard to win and be consistent with that two quarterback system. We actually were talking about this on our podcast, a little bit of a disagreement because I, I'm not totally against the two quarterback system, but it's just hard to recall a lot of teams that have really thrived or won championships with something like that. Piggy comes in the game. You have a pretty good idea that he's going to run or that at least that he's not, he's not airing it out. So I haven't been surprised. I actually thought they'd come into the season and just pretty much let Kasim run the show. I I still think that's possible. Come big ten play, but obviously, you don't, you know, it's it's hard when you've got a guy's dynamic as piggy. And also, I'm sure there's some thought to, you know, wanting to give him a chance so he doesn't leave. But at the same time, because Hill's a year younger, so, you know, he's presumably the starter for the next two years at least.
0: Uh, we're talking to Jeff Ehrman, covers the Terps 247 um, sports.com. Let's get to the situation at Maryland because I sort of feel like um it's the, the story's gone dark a little bit here over the last few weeks there there haven't been significant updates to the story Other than if you're really following it closely like you are, like I am to a certain degree, you know that uh, or I have a sense that maybe the tide is turning back towards DJ Durkin staying because I think people more people support him and and don't endorse this idea of a toxic culture uh, that that was written about, you know, a few weeks ago. But just give us an overall update on where things stand with first the coaching staff and the head coach in particular, and then the AD and school president.
3: So there are two parallel investigations taking place, the first of which is the medical one that was already taking place before all this controversy started, uh, which is due to actually be complete according to the university's timeline that they offered a while back uh, at the end of this week. Uh, I assume, I mean, that that one by now, I'm sure, is is pretty much wrapped up. Uh, So that'll tell us presumably more about what happened that day, uh, who was liable, you know, maybe D.J. Durkin's involvement or lack of involvement on that day. And then you have the other investigation uh, being run by a panel into the culture, you know, addressing those ESPN allegations of a toxic culture in Maryland uh, that one, from what I've been told, about a week ago, they'd pretty much finished up uh, talking to team, you know, players and, and coaches and, and people around the program, and moved on to looking more around the athletic department in general. Which, you know, that in terms of your question about Lowe and and Damon Evans, that's an interesting aspect for them because originally they were going to run this investigation and then the board of regions came in and said, okay, you know, enough of this, we're taking over. And now, you know, you're just on the sidelines. So what I've been told is, is they, even at that level of, of low and Damon Evans, they really don't know what's going on with the investigation and what the plan is with DJ Durkin. Uh, you are correct that the investigation by all accounts has not turned up this toxic culture, which I don't think anybody close to the program is surprised by. I felt like those charges and that story was a little bit was kind of pre uh fabricated and and just built to fit the narrative not to use the cliche of the of our time but built to fit that narrative um because you didn't hear things like that about dj durkin you didn't see players transferring out you know and that that wasn't who he is by anyone's um by anyone's accounting so you know, I don't think they've found anything really about a toxic pro- culture, but then, you know, the, the big question after that still is, can you bring him back given, you know, everything that's happened with a player dying? You know, rightfully or not, people are still going to uh, connect that re- Jordan McNair's death and that report about his program. People who don't follow it as closely as you and me, though, still say Maryland killed a player and they're bringing their coach back. You know, how will he be able to recruit? with that hanging over his head with parents who see that image. So it's a really tough situation, one that you know, a lot of people are unhappy with Wallace Lowe, both for how he handled it at the beginning, with not addressing what had happened until the ESPN report came out, and then going to the extreme in the other direction and suspending D.J. Durkin as soon as that report came out. Now once you've suspended him, it's hard to walk that, that back. So long story short, I would not want to be the one making this decision.
0: All right, uh, I, I want to get your predictions on the fate of all three of them, but a couple of things as it relates to Durkin. Uh, actually, b- before I get to that, is it fair to say now, pretty comfortably, that there was negligence during that moment where Jordan McNair was, uh, you know, was in in the process of basically in distress. And there was there was no tending to him. Have, have we learned enough to know that in that particular moment there was gross negligence on, 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 the, uh, on the part of Maryland football, call it coaching staff, trainers, doctors, whomever?
2: All
3: we know about that is what Wallace Lowe said in that press conference, which was that the staff, the medical staff failed to recognize heat stroke and provide pretty basic, obvious treatment for it. Otherwise, nothing's been said. You know, it, 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 it seems like it'd be a, a pretty major surprise if this report came out and said anything otherwise. But that's all we know. You know, no one has come out and said whether Durkin was involved, where he was when this happened, and things like that. Obviously, there was the part of the ESPN, ESPN report that had Wes Robinson, his football trainer, yelling at, at McNair, yelling at teammates, to drag his ass across the field. So that's another element. Um, so really that's all we know until this report comes out but it should be in the next few days
0: what about the story that came out initially that sort of um pinned kevin anderson as a guy that called this attorney tried to hire an attorney for two players accused of sexual assault and then the story was updated and it was reported that it was actually durkin who called that attorney um how much does that hurt him if that's true
3: um, I think that's really on the peripher- periphery of all this stuff. Okay. you know I feel like that story was it, it looked a little suspicious in how it came out just randomly so far after the fact nobody was asking about it. It wasn't relevant to anything that was going on uh so you know if you are into fairly believable conspiracy theories, you, you might think that it was put out there by Lowe or Evans for some purpose of maybe making themselves look better or maybe in retaliation for Anderson, you know, leaking one of these other stories about them. And then the, the actual attorney who was hired, I don't know if you saw, uh, he came out when he said it was yep. Durkin who hired him. He also said that the athletic department is a dysfunctional viper pit where every employee is walking around with a dagger waiting to stick it in someone else's back. So basically he was, which, so he, he was implying that it had been planted by one of the other two. So long story short again, I don't think that that's even going to be a factor in all this.
0: All right, let me get your predictions. Does D.J. Durkin survive? Is he the Maryland football coach at some point this year?
3: My prediction is no. I don't think you can walk this back, even given the fact that it seems very likely that these allegations are overstated, if not untrue, altogether. It's just from a PR angle, I think, as you know, Maryland's probably going to have to handle it like a corporation, you know, you're not a lot of people are saying you need to be fair to DJ Durkin and give him. Well, there's some truth to that. On the other hand, a, you know, a corporation, if your CEO has some sort of major falling out, you still have to look out uh, for your stakeholders and your future more so than one employee. So, if that means paying him the nearly six million that he's owed if he's fired without cause, then. Then that might be what they have to do, and you know it's possible. Anything's possible, but I don't think I don't think they can bring him back.
0: If he is fired, you believe it would be without cause, and he would get paid.
3: I do. I don't think that they've you know unless they've managed to find something I haven't heard about. I you know maybe, maybe he'll neg- I don't think he'll negotiate either because you know from what I'm told he's been pretty indignant since day one about this. Uh, outrage that the school did not defend him against these allegations at all, that they immediately suspended him. And and that's another factor, too. You know, the relationship, there there was already talk that as soon as he had a good season, he was going to be looking for a better job. And now when you have this, this sort of damage to your relationship, it's hard to imagine if you brought him back how he wouldn't be gone. First chance he gets, maybe not even for a better job. So that's another thing you have to keep in mind about, you know, the idea of bringing
0: him back. You know, Jeff, you're, you just mentioned something. I mean, Maryland's got a history of not stepping up and defending and being aggressive and and being patient to a certain degree. Look at how Michigan State and North Carolina have both weathered their storms. And, you know, we had a head coach back in 1988 that gave a kid a ride to class uh, so <laughs> that he would yeah. get to class on time, and the school didn't come to his defense in that particular case. Um, last two, um, Lowe, survive or not, Evans, survive or not, And if Evans doesn't survive, is Gary Williams at least an interim AD?
3: I don't think either one of them will survive. It's possible they could. A lot of it's tied to Durkin. You know, if you keep him, their chances of staying are probably better. But I don't think they will. Whether that happens at the same time as Durkin, who knows. You know, with the president, it's a lot different, obviously, than with an athletic department employee. Evans, if you fire him, from what I saw of his contract, it appears that if you fire him even with cause, He's still owed three million dollars, which is incredible, Jeez. and you know another example of, of Wallace Lowe's uh, habit of giving out these unbelievably generous contracts. Uh, so, so he's going to be sitting pretty either way. It looks like, but I don't, I don't think that they'll survive this. I think it's just too ugly, too too big of a blemish, and not there's not going to be enough. Political capital for them heading into the future. But Evans does have some supporters. Low, I, I don't feel like he does have many at this point. And he's 72 years old. So maybe you just go ahead and retire at that point and, and part, you know, amicably, at least uh, I on a ma- public level.
0: I want to make sure I heard that correctly. Did you say that if Damon Evans is fired with cause, he still gets paid?
3: I scanned his contract uh, about a week ago. And yes, I believe I'll have to go back and look at it again. But I, it, it my eyes. Bulge When I saw it, I'm, I'm fairly confident that if he's fired, he's owed five years, which is thirty million dollars.
0: Not thirty million dollars.
3: No, excuse me. But yeah, I was gonna
0: say that, that would be a generous contract.
3: That would be a hell of a deal. No, three million. Yeah, he's handed out a lot of those, though. You know, look, Kevin Anderson had an evergreen contract that was renewed every year automatically on a five-year. Rolling period, which made it a lot harder to get rid of him when they wanted to. Yeah. When Lowe decided he was done with them, you know, Mark Turgeon got a very generous—not not generous necessarily, money-wise uh, contract—but he got a, an extension with all the money guaranteed, zero buyout. So, uh, and then Evans. So, so Lowe's been known for these sort of contracts. People often wonder who's who's negotiating for Maryland.
0: All right, I always love catching up with you. Um, and if you don't. You know, if you don't follow Jeff at 247sports.com and you're a Terps fan, you're nuts because it's the best in recruiting information. And, uh, you know, we'll sit there after one of your, you know, basketball recruiting updates, my my boys and I, and sit there and talk about who they're getting and who they're not getting for at least an hour a week minimum. Um, Basketball talk in a couple months. Hopefully we've got a lot more football talk before then. But thanks for updating the story. I'll talk to you soon, Jeff. Appreciate it. Sounds great, brother. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get to some NFL buy or sell. Are you buying or are you selling? All right. NFL buy or sell. Quick version of NFL buy or sell because it's one week uh, in the books. Uh, first of all, I, I would buy the Washington Redskins right now. Um, they're still not priced very high. Uh, the over-unders budged up a little bit in Vegas to 7.5 from 7. Uh, The Redskins are big favorites this week at home. Big favorites, less than a touchdown, but six-point favorites. The line would not have been that a week ago until they saw what they saw in Arizona. But I'm not going to beat a dead horse here. The Redskins have a good roster. They've got a 500 or better roster. My bold prediction or somewhat bold prediction from earlier in the show was I think we're going to have a meaningful December. There's a lot that could derail that. But I think this is a team capable of going into their final five games in December, six and five or better. And that would mean they would be in the hunt. I'm also buying, and I'm going to continue to buy, because I bought them last week, and I'm going to continue to buy Baltimore Ravens stock. The Ravens, for the first time in the offseason, had a quarterback go through every single OTA, mini camp and training camp snap healthy with Joe Flacco. He got weapons in Sneed, brown and crabtree they all caught touchdown passes in the opener i love alex collins i love their coaching staff and i love their defense the ravens to me are the team to watch this year in the afc i'd be surprised if the ravens aren't an 11 win team this year or more and a super bowl contender out of the afc um i'm gonna sell for right now just for now the Philadelphia Eagles. I thought they looked woeful. I thought they looked awful in that Thursday night opener. And all of a sudden, you look at Philadelphia, and, you know, when does Wentz come back? When is he ready to come back? Uh, If Foles is going to start this week against the Buccaneers on the road, against Ryan Fitzpatrick, they won the game. I do like the Eagles defensively. I really like them defensively. Um, But I'm selling them from this standpoint. I don't think they're a 13-win team this year they may be an 11 win team they may be a division winning team but I don't see them as this you know overwhelming favorite to be in the NFC championship game with either the Vikings or the Rams I don't I don't see it that way at all so that's the sell this week it's hard to sell anything else you'd sell the Lions if you saw them the other night Stafford Stafford looked banged up Um, I'd probably buy the New York Jets, but I've done that before because I'm a big Todd Bowles fan, but I love the way their defense looks. They are so well-coached defensively. Bowles' defense is always one of the best coached defenses in the league, so I'd buy a little Jets, buy a little Redskins, buy a lot of Ravens, and I'd probably sell right now just because I think they're way overpriced. I'd sell a little bit of Philadelphia Eagles. Tomorrow on the show, Scott Van Pelt for his debut. Thursdays with Van Pelt on the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. When you download it from iTunes, subscribe, rate it highly, hopefully. If you like it, tell other people about it. Mike Shanahan will be with me on Friday, and it'll be a Football Friday show. Mark Stern, without him, I'd still be just putzing around the Safeway by the deli (laughs) counter asking for, you know, Black Forest ham. (laughs) Uh, And thanks to Aaron Oster, who's helping out as well. And Aaron's holding up. Oh, we've got a new uh, Twitter page. At Sheehan Podcast is the new show Twitter page. So give that a follow at Sheehan Podcast. And you can also follow me because I'll be retweeting everything at Kevin Sheehan D.C on Twitter that's at Kevin Sheehan DC on Twitter and just go to if you don't download it on iTunes and you don't understand that somehow you got it today and you're listening today just go to the Kevin Sheehan show.com thanks have a great day back tomorrow again Van Pelt will be with me